For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah! I can achieve my dreams. I am gonna win the game. I am gonna get that promotion. I can get what I want. I just gotta claim this verse and believe in myself. I gotta climb that mountain and reach for the stars. Sorry, champ. It's not how it works. But if we actually look into what this passage is getting at, we find one of the most important, encouraging, freeing gifts of following Jesus. So let's talk about it together. I know, I know, first Jeremiah 29 11, and now this. Like you're saying, John, why are you ruining my favorite verses? I'm not. See, what we've been trying to do in this series is give each other the tools to discover the real story that the biblical writings convey. And when we do the work of understanding the biblical writings properly, we find something better than what we thought they first meant. And we discover the real life that Jesus offers. See, the more we understand the meaning of the biblical writings, the more we discover the life Jesus offers. But the reverse is also true. When we misuse and misunderstand scripture, we miss out on the real life Jesus offers. And when we misuse and misunderstand this passage in particular, we set ourselves up for discontentment and circumstantial faith that rises and falls based on what's happening in that moment in our lives. And when we claim we can do all things through the power of Jesus, and then we succeed, Jesus then kind of becomes this lucky charm genie Jesus. And we start thinking that he gives us a power we can tap into because we're the special ones. Or we claim this verse and we fail. And either we think we, we didn't have enough faith or that Jesus let us down and, and didn't give us what we deserve because, hey, we claimed this verse. So... Let's use our tools. Let's use our study rhythm that we've been doing through this whole series one more time and discover what this passage really is talking about. And in that process, we will discover that understanding scripture in its real context can grow real faith in our context. So to understand this passage, what it really means, let's follow our rhythm again. So first, we discover the genre and historical context of this passage. And we can use a good Bible dictionary, or really the BibleProject.com's overview of the book of Philippians is really good. And so in either of those, we discover that the genre of this, path, of this book is that it's an epistle, meaning it's a letter written in Act 5 of our play. It's Act of the Church. And so this book, this letter, is telling Jesus followers how to play their role in the story of God in, the first, in their first century context. It was written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy to Jesus' followers in the Roman colony of Philippi, while Paul is in prison, probably between 54 or 62 AD. And Philippi, at the time, was a Roman colony in Macedonia. It was kind of like a, a mini-Rome away from Rome. The people there were Roman citizens, and Latin was used along with the native Greek. And Roman law controlled the local administration and the taxes. And many of its citizens were veterans of the Roman army. And so there's this influence in, in Philippi of Roman patriotic nationalism in, in its surrounding culture. 
And because of that, it's likely that it was influenced by the philosophy of Stoicism, that this idea was really heavy in the population's thinking. And just a quick paraphrase of Stoicism is that it, it emphasizes virtue and, and self-sufficiency, right? You're, you're Stoic. Well, in Acts 16, we see that Paul travels to Philippi with Silas, or Silvanus, which is my unconfirmed ancestor. And at Philippi, they share the good news of Jesus' new kingdom, and they start the first church in Europe, in Philippi. And while Paul and Silas are there, they heal a demon-possessed slave girl who's being exploited by her owners because apparently she can tell the future. And they heal her, and now she can no longer tell the future. And so Paul and Silas are actually beaten with wooden rods and thrown into prison. Well, while they're in prison, around midnight, this earthquake comes, and the prison doors fling open. But Paul and Silas stay there. And the jailer, who, if they escaped, would have to, like, kill himself, he's like, hey, are you there? He's like, yeah, we're good. Don't kill yourself. Well, the jailer and his family become Jesus followers. And after Paul and Silas move on, these new Jesus followers in Philippi continue to face opposition. I mean, they're claiming that Jesus is the true king of the world in a colony full of people devoted to Rome and, and, and the Roman power of the empire, but they remained a vibrant Jesus-following community. And so Paul writes them a letter that we call Philippians. And so in our next step in our process, in our rhythm, we read the context of the whole text. Now remember, this book of Philippians is a letter. How do you read any letter or any email? You don't just jump to the middle and be like, yeah, that's totally what that means. You read the entire letter to get the context of every sentence, right? And so with this, you need to read the entire letter. And so first we read it and we see that Paul thanks the Philippian Jesus followers for their partnership in spreading the good news about Jesus and his kingdom. And he tells them that, that being in prison for him has actually been a really great opportunity. Many of the guards who are guarding him have heard the good news and his imprisonment has emboldened other Jesus followers to talk about Jesus. And he says, you know, I'm in prison. I could be executed, but I'm not afraid to die because dying would mean I get to be with Jesus. But, you know, that would kind of be bad for you and the other Jesus followers because I wouldn't be around to help them anymore. So I guess I'd rather not die right now. And so then he instructs these, these Roman citizens to embrace their new identity as citizens of heaven by having the same attitude as Jesus, that though he was actually God, he humbled himself to serve humanity. And then he talks about how knowing Jesus is so much better than all the religious performances he used to think were important. And as he finishes his letter, he thanks the Philippian Jesus followers for the gifts and the support they have sent him while he's been in prison. And that's where we find the passage that we're looking at. And so we engage the actual text that we're looking at. And we read it in its immediate context, which means in these epistles, you think paragraphs, not sentences, not verses. You think you read them in their chunks, their paragraphs, and you ask questions. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And he says, I have learned to be content. Well, first we see, according to Paul, we can learn to be content even in our toughest circumstances. And so we see that contentment is learned. But what does Paul mean by the word content? Well, let's use a free resource, Blue Letter Bible, and zoom in on that word content. And when we look it up, the, the Greek word for content that Paul uses means 
sufficient for oneself, strong enough or possessing enough to, to need no aid or support, to be independent of external circumstances, uh, content with one's lot, with one's means, through the slenderest. And we see that this word that Paul used for content is only used once in the entire biblical writings. And it's here with Paul, which usually means we should pay attention to this word. And it seems like this idea of self-sufficiency would appeal to, to former soldiers and, and the Stoic readers in Philippi, or at least those who are familiar with Stoic ideas. Paul's kind of using this word, and he's saying, like, I learned how to be self-sufficient. And they're saying, you know, wow, that, you're, you're speaking my language. I get that. How, do, how can I be self-sufficient better? How can I not need anything external better, more? How can I do that? So Paul goes on. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. The secret. And so we look at Blue Letter Bible again. The, word, the phrase secret, I've learned the secret there, means like being initiated into the mysteries. And we're like, well, what are the mysteries? What does that mean? We'll look at it later. And it can also mean being fully instructed. Again, this is the only time this phrase is used in the New Testament. So it might be important for what he's trying to say. So we'll move on for now. In a bit, we'll see if maybe the, the experts have something to say about these phrases that we don't see anywhere else. But first, he says, I've learned the secret. So what is the secret of how to do this? This is our verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So the secret Paul learned or, or somehow was initiated into is how to be content in every circumstance. He can do or go through or be content in all things. Well, what does he mean by all things? Does he mean I can win the game? What does he mean by all the things? All what things? Everything he just mentioned. Like having nothing, having everything, having an empty stomach, having a full stomach, having plenty, having, having little. How can he be content? Well, in all those situations, he can be content through Christ, through Jesus who strengthens him. See, check it out. Paul has just explained something we all know, but don't really always put into words. We don't always practice or even know how to have for ourselves. See, true contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. See, we all know of people who seem to have everything, we see it in the news and, and on TV. We see it all the time. We all know people who, who seem to have everything, yet they're unsatisfied, they're unhappy, they're discontent. But we also know of others who seem not to have really much at all, but they're content, they're, they're at peace, they're, they're even joyful, and they say, I don't have much, but I have all I need, and they're, and they're happy about it. See, they have a contentment that doesn't come from self-reliance. It comes from Jesus reliance, trusting that he is good and that he is in control and that he loves us. So just from our own reading, just from our own questions and, and our own study, just that little bit we did, we see that this famous passage is not about achieving our dreams. It's not about winning the game. It's not about getting that promotion. It's about being content whether we achieve our dreams or not. So being content whether we have everything we want or nothing we want. And it's not a contentment that comes from within us of, of trying harder and just, you know, ignoring our problems or ascribing the right philosophy of life to, to our situation. It comes from Jesus learning who he is, 
and that he will give everything we need. Learning to rely on his perfect love to be with us in any and every situation. As Paul actually expands on further in the next two paragraphs. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They're sweet smelling sac- they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his riches, his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, this all kind of makes sense, right? But are we sure we're on the right track? Like, are you really sure it's not about getting that promotion? Like, are we understanding this property? Can we get some of those more detailed questions about what each word means and stuff? Can we get those answered? Well, maybe we need some more insight from someone who has devoted their life to studying this passage. Is there something more they can tell us? And that's when, in our rhythm, we ask the experts. And I happen to have Francis Folks's commentary in the New Bible Commentary 21st Century Edition on my computer. And he says, He could honestly say that he had learnt the secret of contentment with outward circumstances. Whether he had little or much, he knew that his Lord would not fail to give him what was necessary to strengthen him to face every situation. In writing these things, Paul uses two words that had significant religious and philosophical use in those days. The word translated content, which is Greek atarches, means self-sufficient. It was regarded by the Stoics as high virtue to be detached from outward circumstances and to have resources in oneself to meet every situation. Paul uses the word in the sense of his being independent of circumstances, but his all-sufficient resources were, he said, through him who gives me strength, the living Lord Jesus. The other word, translated, I have learned of the secret, was used in the mystery cults for initiation into a secret. We can look up what mystery cults are in Google or whatever. Paul's secret of living was an open secret, available for all who would walk the way of Christ. It was the secret of contentment, since to know Christ and to be called to serve him was unsearchable riches, as he says in Ephesians 3.8. How far we know the secret of contentment and to what degree we are proving the sufficiency of Christ for all the demands of our lives are always challenging questions for us as Christians. And so we see that we actually were on the right track just from our own questions. It does seem that Paul is using these certain words on purpose to get the Philippians' attention. To, to help them understand that the secret of contentment was a reliance, not on themselves, but on Jesus. That a Jesus follower's strength doesn't come from within them, but from Jesus. That they can be content, that they can be sufficient by relying on him. See, the secret to contentment in any and every situation is learning to rely on Jesus. We can be content with whatever he gives us because we know he loves us and he is in control. You say, cool, that's a great idea. Cool knowledge, man. That's fun. But it's actually pointless if it doesn't help us grow, if it doesn't transform us. And so that's why we have our last step in our rhythm. Do something with it. So my question is, what are your circumstances right now? Have you achieved your dreams? Are you chasing your dreams? Or are you about ready to give up on your dreams? 
Are you content? Are you con are you content? What are you relying on? Who are you relying on to be content? What or who are you trusting in to be content? Is it something that if it is something that's circumstantial or, or temporary, it will eventually fail you, whether it's your health or your or your money, you're trusting your money or, or your success, your relationships, or even yourself. But if we can learn to rely on Jesus, we can learn to choose to trust his love and his provision, no matter what happens around us, we will discover the secret Paul discovered, that the life Jesus offers is a content life. For example, let me brag on my wife for a second. A few months ago, my car like died. I had to sell it to a mechanic for $300. And I know that's like a first world problem, right? But I wanted to just go out and, and go in debt and buy exactly the car I wanted for our family, like the, the DVD player and the heated, you know, all the stuff. And she said, as the wise girl, woman she is, she said, you know, we're fine. Like, we have a car. We can go to places. Jesus will take care of us if, if we need a new car. And so we, we prayed about if we need a car. The kids prayed for a certain type of car, and, and we waited. And finally, I felt like it was time to ask. And so I actually... Put on Facebook, hey, does anybody want to sell this type of car? And we actually got exactly what we needed for the perfect price. Not everything we wanted, but exactly what we needed, and it's great. And I can tell you, the content life is worth it. And obviously, I still need to practice it. So, with me, maybe to practice learning the content life that Paul said we can learn, let's read Philippians this week. It's very short. We can read it in one sitting as we should most letters. And maybe even watch the Bible Project overview first about the Philippians, kind of get a better idea of what this book is about. And as we read it, <clears throat> let's underline the words joy and rejoice and see how those kind of fit into all of Paul's thinking here. And as, after we do that, let's pray. Let's pray, Jesus, show me I can trust you in every circumstance, good or bad. Show me that I can trust you, whether things are going great or things are not going the way I want them to go. So, is it wrong to have Philippians 4.13 painted on your walls or tattooed on your arm? No. Tattooed on your face? <laughs> Maybe. Is it wrong to, to have hopes and dreams or even ambitions to do, to do something more? No. Philippians 4.13 is a great promise that no matter what happens, whether things work out the way we want or if they don't work out the way we want. Relying on Jesus will bring the true contentment you want. So when we understand this passage in its context, it gives us something so much better than a, a pithy, inspirational quote we can put on a poster of a guy mountain climbing. It gives us the secret to finding the life we actually want, the life Jesus actually offers. When we study the real meaning of scripture, Jesus transforms our real life. Thanks for watching this episode put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We are a church in Salem for Salem and we meet locally in Salem. Uh, for the summer, we're meeting twice a month, which means we have uh, two upcoming gatherings happening in August, which we're very excited about. And then after that, we are meeting weekly starting September 11th. So keep an eye on our calendar. It'll be linked in the show notes. 
It's also available via our website, but big changes are coming uh, your way, our way, as we prepare to meet weekly again uh, for the first time since 2020. So we're very excited. We hope you can join us if you uh, live in the Salem area. If not, these episodes will continue to be released online for you via the podcast and YouTube. So be sure to like and subscribe so you're notified when these episodes come out. In August, we also have a four ice cream pop-up handout free event for the community. We'll be meeting at West Bennett in the afternoon on August 21st, and we'll be handing out ice cream to whoever would like some. It's also going to be a great time to gather and hang out, enjoy the play structure and the splash pad, and just be together in community. So you're welcome to come to that. There's information in the show notes, and we'll see you in two weeks when we start a new series. Hope you're having a great week.